morning, everyone. Um, gosh, we, um, we were getting a little bit worried when it was a quarter to ten this morning and it was just me, Sarah, Judah, Lily and Deeper here and then the Forsyth arrived and we doubled the congregation. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, everyone's here. So it's great to see everyone here. Um, hello to everyone who is uh, online with us this morning. Uh, it is a long weekend, so it's not um, uncommon. People are enjoying some time away, which is wonderful. Today, um, I want to go on a little bit of a journey about something that I've been learning really quite significantly um, and talk about, um, it's a passage of scripture that I have quite literally heard hundreds of times through my life and have heard dozens of messages and sermons about. Um, And in all honesty, for the whole time of my life, I kind of figured that I had it sorted out, you know, that that I had this verse all understood and all figured out. But I've been on this little bit of a learning journey lately that I've kind of figured out that I have really been misinterpreting this verse all of my life. And um, it's about the Beatitudes. So that's what we're going to look at today. And um, honestly, this is a huge, really, piece of scripture in its sense. We could do multiple, multiple sermons just on this little eight verses alone, but um, we're just going to do one today. So um, we're going to have the words up on the screen. It's in Matthew chapter 5, so if you've got your Bibles with you, you know, feel free to do it, or your app, or the words will be up on the screen if you want to follow, follow along with me. So he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, or falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So on the surface, really, it seems quite simple. Now, I want to take you on this journey of what I've learned about this. This has actually become probably my, one of my favourite pieces of scripture at the moment. We, in our last small group, we actually shared with each other what our favourite um, passages were and, and talked about why it meant so much to us. And this was one of the ones that I shared. Now, if you've already reached, I'm going to tell you kind of what the tagline is in a minute. So if you've already reached that conclusion in your life, that's fine. Tune out, start doing your shopping list in your head, start planning lunch or, you know, scroll through your Insta feed or anything like that. But... If you haven't come to this conclusion yet, I want you to come on this journey with me. I was always told that a good sermon had to have three points, had to be a three-point sermon. I'm going to break that rule today. It's only a one-point sermon. There's only one point to this, and this is it. The Beatitudes are a roadmap to Jesus. That's it. Like, mind blown, right? That's it. That's all it is. So if you've come to that like understanding and realisation already... Just uh, tune out. Thanks for coming, and um, we'll, we'll see you next week. But what I've been reading into this passage is that I've actually been interpreting it all wrong. I've made really two big mistakes whenever I've read this passage of Scripture and the way I've under- understood it. We'll get to that in a minute, but I just want to set the scene. So the Beatitudes opens the famous Sermon on the Mount. It's a really significant reason as to why the Beatitudes are at the start, why these, why these were opening, but... 
Let's talk about what's happening at the moment. So Jesus has called the disciples. He's begun his ministry. They've been traveling all over the place. He's been teaching in the synagogues. He's been healing the sick. He's been casting out demons. And and through all of this, there's been a massive following. The word has spread about this, this guy who's rumored to be the Messiah. And he's doing all of these miracles. He's challenging the Pharisees. He's challenging what they're saying. He's turning things upside down. He's doing it differently. There's something about this guy. People want to see him. People who've lost hope, they they want to get near him. They want to touch him. They want to just be in his presence. So he starts to get this following. And thousands and thousands of people from all of these these regions that he's been through, they just start following him and the disciples as they travel along. So they come up on this big mountainside. Like, can you imagine being one of the disciples in this moment? Like, imagine one of the first two. Imagine you're Simon or Andrew. You know, you're just a regular fisherman. There's nothing really that special about you. You're a really hard worker, salt of the earth, you know, laboring type person. And you're out there working one day and this random guy walks up to you and says, come and follow me and I'm going to teach you to catch people instead of fish. Like, if that's me, I'm kind of probably going to have some creepy alarm vibes going off in my head about, hang on, catching people? Like, (laughs) we we don't do that here. We can't eat people, and we can, but that's wrong. But he says, you know, throw away your livelihood. They've got families relying on them to bring in the fish. And this random person that they've never seen before walks up to them mid-shift and says, drop what you're doing, throw away your livelihood... Come with me and I'm going to teach you something new. Can any person in this room honestly put their hand up and say, yeah, I'm on board with that, I'd do it? I don't think I would, to be honest. But they did. They dropped what they were doing and off they went. It makes no sense. Fast forward to this bit where we get to the Sermon on the Mount and wow, what have they seen? You know, this guy, this random person that they've just dropped everything for, they've come to learn that he is the promised Messiah and they have seen him do the most amazing things they could ever even, beyond what they could dream of. This is the life they're living. They're a part of the inner circle of the Messiah and they are experiencing miracles. They are experiencing people being healed. They are seeing him just teach scripture in a new way. They're seeing him challenge the old traditions and talk about a new way of being in relationship with God. The whole time they were learning all of this, they had to kind of keep it a secret because the time wasn't right, you know, for Jesus to, to reveal himself and reveal his ministry. But now, when we're at the, now's the time. Jesus has said, now is the time, let's go for it, let's get it out there. So now they can scream from the rooftops, this is the Messiah, people, this is the man, this is the one. So they come up to this big hillside, people are climbing up the hillside, finding a good spot, waiting for this Messiah, waiting for this man to teach. And then Jesus presents his famous Sermon on the Mount. Now, to get some context of the importance of this, I've got up there eight verses. So all of that stuff, the calling of the disciples, the teaching in the synagogues, the doing the miracles, crowds following, 
Matthew Matthew devoted eight verses to that. How many do you think he devoted to the Sermon on the Mount? Any guesses? Anyone? More than eight. Definitely more than eight. 111. Three chapters and 111 verses for one sermon. That's the significance of what Jesus said in that sermon. Eight verses that basically encapsulates the calling of his disciples in the beginning of his ministry and all of these miracles. And then, bam, 111 verses. Matthew wanted us to know these words. He wanted us to remember them and and really apply them in our lives. And so how does he start this mammoth big sermon with the Beatitudes? And that's one of the reasons they're really significant. So let's get to the really fun bit, which is where I've been wrong all my life. You see, the first thing I did wrong with reading the Beatitudes is I read them as a series of if-then statements. You know, so, I mean, most of the things in the Beatitudes, let's be honest, they're not great. You know, being poor in spirit, those who mourn, hunger and thirst, being persecuted, getting insulted. They're not, you know, really flowers and roses type things that you'd want in your life. And so I always read this as you have to go through something bad to get something good. If you're poor, bad, yours will be the kingdom of heaven, good. If you mourn, bad, you will be comforted, good. So you have to go through something bad. As, and then, you know, God gives you like this big old, thanks for sticking with me, here's your reward. So there's a big problem with that. It's wrong. Because the scriptures don't say if, then. They don't say if you're poor, then. They don't say if you mourn, then. They say, blessed are. So it's are for statements. Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It's not conditional on you going through something bad. By saying are for, Jesus is telling us is that the good is actually right there with us at all times. In the good and the bad. Blessed are. Again, like, mind blown. But see, then this raised another problem for me when I think about blessed are, because to me that doesn't make sense. How can I be blessed when I'm poor in spirit? How can I be blessed when I'm mourning? Because mourning means that I've lost something dear to me. How can I be blessed when I'm hungry and thirsty? That's not fun. Being hungry and thirsty doesn't feel like a blessing at all. How can I be blessed when I'm persecuted and people are insulting me and cursing me? It's just not logical and it doesn't make sense. And so that led to the second part of where I've been getting it wrong all my life is my understanding of the words. So there's two parts to the understanding of the words that I've just been gotten wrong. Now, anyone who's heard me preach a few times knows that I've never been a real big fan of, you know, the whole, if we go back to the original Greek, 
I've never been a huge fan of that. I mean, look, mad respect to the preachers who have the knowledge to do it, but I've never had that knowledge. It's never been me. But if you... Um, Sarah's doing some study at the moment, and she's actually doing a Greek, an advanced Greek subject. So, you know, Greek memory cards and little quizzes are kind of a daily thing in our house at the moment as Sarah's learning some Greek. She'll walk in and go, can you quiz me on my Greek? If anyone wants to, by the way, if anyone wants to see what John 1 looks like in Greek, come and use our toilet because it's on the back of the door because Sarah has to memorize it. So Greek's a bit of a thing in our house at the moment, and it's actually helped me helped me a lot in this because when I look at the word blessed and and the way we look at it today we we understand it these days to mean you know to be made holy or divinely favored something like that that's that's our modern understanding of the word blessed however the Greek word in this passage for blessed is makarios and I even looked up how to say it properly too Sarah would be proud when the, King, when the King James Bible was first translated, um, the word blessed actually had a different meaning. You see, the word makarios means happy. And so when the King James Bible was first translated in, in, and created into English, that was actually the understanding of blessed at the time, was people who were blessed were, were people who were happy. And then as times progressed and, and we've gotten our, our more modern translations, they've just kept the word blessed in there, even though our understanding of the word blessed has changed. So when I've been reading this passage, I've been looking at it of going, you know, people are made holy or they're divinely favoured. And I'm thinking, how am I divinely favoured if I'm poor in spirit? Or how am I divinely favoured if I'm mourning? But it's not actually what it meant meant happy. The second misunderstanding I had was actually some of the Beatitudes themselves. So there's a few there that are reasonably self-explanatory, you know, like those who are merciful, those who are peacemakers, like those are quite, um, you know, self-explanatory. But there's a few there that I really got wrong. And the first one is the first one, which is poor in spirit. See, poor is always associated with having not enough, having nothing, So my train of thought on those was, well, how is it possible that someone can have no spirit, you know, or very little spirit? But again, this was a misunderstanding of what poor in spirit is. You know, it's it's not like, you know, we're at a Jesus cheer camp and someone's a bit low on on their Jesus spirit, you know. The jazz hands are a little bit flat today. That's not what it's about. Poor in spirit here is actually talking about being humble. So when we change that poor in spirit to being humble in spirit, the verse starts to take on a bit of a new meaning. It talks about us being understanding that everything we have comes from God. All of our gifts, all of our blessings, it all comes from God. And that's why, in a sense, we are poor in spirit, we are humble in spirit, because without Him, there is nothing there. The person who is humble in spirit or poor in spirit, they're the people who can open up to God and open up to His will and just allow themselves to be led by Him because they understand that without Him they have nothing. So blessed are the humble, happy are the humble because they're willing and they're able to be led by God. So the kingdom of God is theirs. 
because they can be led by God. Mind blown again. The next one I struggled with was blessed are the meek. Now, to me, meek always meant little, easily dominated, you know, shy, quiet, those sort of, you know, quiet submissive, those overly submissive types of words. That's what meek was. It was like one of those, you know, people who get bullied all the time. They have everything taken away from them. But again, I was wrong. Being meek is again about being humble. It's about being gentle and kind. Sarah shared in the verse this morning... Oddly enough, weird, we hadn't communicated about this at all, but I have it in here. Matthew 28. Matthew 11, sorry, 28. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus was meek. He was gentle and humble. The meek person is gentle and humble in the face of adversity. The meek person is not resistant, but obedient. Obedience doesn't mean weakness. For someone to be able to be humble and obedient and gentle in the face of all sorts of adversity, when Jesus was being beaten, abused, and then crucified, was he angry, mean, or vengeful towards any of those people? No. He could have snapped his fingers and had all sorts of atrocities done against those people. Was he angry or mean towards his father who had allowed him to go through all of this? No, he wasn't. He was obedient to his father. He was humble and gentle towards his captors. Jesus is telling us here in this verse to be like him, to be meek in the face of the Lord and not to resist him but to be obedient to him. So the obedient and the humble person will inherit the earth. So when we look at some of these verses now with a bit of a new understanding, I found for me it completely changed them. So let's have a look. Let's have a look at the first one. Happy are the humble in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Can you see how that takes on a whole new meaning? Blessed is the poor in spirit. Happy are the humble in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But that's okay. We're not done yet. I'm going for the set of steak, set of steak knives because there is always more. So I said at the start that the Beatitudes are a roadmap to Jesus. So now it's time to look at how is that possible. When someone's coming to visit you for the first time or you're arranging to meet up with someone somewhere, What's the first piece of information that they need to know? Where you are. What the address is. Ready. Have I? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward will be great in heaven. Yes. But how is it the map? If someone wants to find me, those are the groups they should look for. This is a really good reason why Jesus starts the Sermon on the Mount, his most biggest and famous sermon delivered to thousands of people. There's a reason he starts it with the Beatitudes. He's giving us his address. He's telling us where to find him. If we want to find Jesus, then we only need to look at these groups. The poor in spirit, the humble, those who mourn, those who are meek, those who are humble in the face of difficulties. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, you know, those who fight for justice. Justice is at the core of righteousness. With those who are merciful, with those who are pure in heart, you know, the, the selfless and the loving. With those who choose to make peace. With those who are persecuted because of their beliefs in him. And for those who are insulted and cursed because of Jesus, that's where he is. Those are the people he is with. And that's why they're blessed. That's why they can be happy. Because Jesus is already there with them. So I want to read the Beatitudes again with a couple of changes. Happy are the poor in spirit with Jesus by their side, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are those who mourn with Jesus for they will be comforted. Happy are the meek with Jesus before the Father, for they will inherit the earth. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and justice with Jesus, for they will be satisfied. Happy are those who show mercy as Jesus did, for they will be shown mercy by the Father. Happy are those who love selflessly along with Jesus, for they will see God. Happy are those who bring the peace of Jesus to those around them, for they will be called the children of God.
Happy are those who are persecuted alongside Jesus, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are those who are insulted, persecuted, and falsely accused with Jesus, for there is great reward in heaven for them. Like, I don't know about you, but when I applied that understanding, it was really mind-blown for me. It totally changes the context. I don't know if that's anything new for you. I hope it was, and if it wasn't, I hope it was a good refresher. But I guess, what do we do with this? What's next? As Jed Bartlett would say. Where do we go next? So there's only one challenge for me that comes out of this. It's one point sermon, one point challenge. What do you do with a map? What's its purpose? You use it to go somewhere. You use it to find something. So if Jesus has given us a roadmap to him, what do we do with that? We go there. We go to him. And that's it. That's the simplicity of the challenge. There's no, there's no deep theology in any of this. He's given us the roadmap. He's given us the directions. We've just got to go there. Jesus tells us that we are to follow him. We are to be like him. He's given us the roadmap to find him. He's given us the directions to teach us how to catch men. People. So we need to be with the humble and we need to be with the meek. We need to go to those who mourn and show them the comfort of God. We need to join with those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness and justice. We need to stand with them. We need to stand with the peacemakers and be in the, in the middle between those who want to make the war. We need to be there making peace. We need to show mercy. We have to stand with those who are persecuted. We have to stand with those who are insulted because of their faith. And why do we need to be in all of these places? Because that's where Jesus is. And he told us to be like him. We are his voice in this world and we need to follow the roadmap. And then we need to share that roadmap with the world. We need to show other people what the address is and tell them how to get there. Now, I can't tell you how to do that for you. I can't tell you what causes to get involved with or what to be passionate about. I can't tell you who to go and talk to. I can't tell you who you should show mercy to. Jesus has already done that. I can't go and do it for you. No one else can. Only you can do that. Only you can respond in the way that God wants you to respond. We've each got the map. It's up to each of us to follow the directions and then pass the directions on. So that's my question to everyone today. That's my question to you. What are you going to do? You've got the map. What are you going to do with it now? So let's pray. Lord, we just want to thank you for the directions you've given us. Lord, we thank you for the gift and the sacrifice of your son, the example that we are shown 
on how to live, how to follow, how to draw near to you. Lord, we thank you for those who are poor in spirit. Lord, we thank you for the meek. Lord, we thank you for those who are in mourning. We thank you for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We thank you for those who show mercy and for those who make peace. Lord, we thank you for those who stand for you and get persecuted and insulted and falsely accused before, because of it. Lord, we ask for the boldness to go and be with these people. We ask for the courage and the determination to seek Jesus, to put the map into use so it's not just collecting dust on the shelf and go there and stand with these people and be happy. We thank you that we can be happy because Jesus is with us. We thank you that no matter what adversities we face, no matter what we go through in life, we can be happy because Jesus is right there with us. Even in times of pain and sorrow and loss, we know the comfort of God because he is there. Lord, we ask that you would challenge us, drive us, light a fire under us, give us opportunities, whatever it is that needs to happen, Lord, I pray that that would come into our lives, that we would be passionate and dedicated to seeking Jesus in these places and then sharing him with the world. could be our local neighbourhood, our household, our church community, the state, the country, or even the world itself. But Lord, I pray that you would just give us a desire, a burning desire that we cannot ignore to seek Jesus, to go to these places, to stand with the people who are there, being happy and joyful in spirit, and then to share the map to Jesus with others around us. In Jesus' name, amen.